0: morning. Uh, I'd like to have my welcome to uh, Helen's. Uh, uh, my name is Josh. Uh, I'm the youth worker uh, here at St. James um, and it's my pleasure to be preaching uh, this morning to you uh, on this wonderful passage. Um, I'm just going to say a prayer for us uh, before we begin. Father God, just uh, pray that you would take uh, these words of mine, that you would use them by your spirit uh, to speak into our hearts this morning. Amen. Now, uh, the hat is for a reason. Because uh, kings and queens, you find them in packets of cards. They have ruled uh, nations for centuries and millenniums. You find them used uh, as descriptions for uh, pop stars, rock and roll stars, and sports people. They're all over the names of pubs in this country. And even the animal kingdom likes to get in on the act with its queen bees and its king fishes. Royalty and the notion of kingship is all around us. We ourselves have a queen, uh, and one day in the future, we are going to have a king. And for a large majority of us, we're going to have to learn how to sing a new national anthem that we have never sung before. And the Bible likes to get in on the act too. There's a couple of uh, books devoted just to the stories of kings. And kings, queens and royalty uh, is everywhere in our passage this morning. Our passage that shows us about one true king, the anointed king, the king of kings, in the most famous curtain raiser to the most famous and tumultuous week in history. If this was a scripted scripted drama, uh, think along the lines of Line of Duty uh, with an opening title, I'm sure we'd have something like, welcome to Palm Sunday. Now, I'm going to lay my cards out on the table here. Um, I think this passage gives us quite clearly some very real clues to Jesus being the king. Um, And I'm going to quickly run through some of those clues now, uh, just to help us uh, acknowledge that Jesus is uh, the real king. And uh, then I want us to reflect on our response to those clues. So imagine this first bit being a bit like a detective drama. Here, I think, are the clues uh, to Jesus being the king from our passage. Well, if we go back a little bit into um, the preceding uh, account uh, to this entry into Jerusalem uh, that Luke gives us, Jesus speaks of a man of noble birth who went to a distant country to appoint himself as king. And the story tells us about the king's actions with his servants. Uh, it doesn't really go necessarily brilliantly well, uh, but basically the, the premise is the, the idea is the story is about a king. And then Luke tells us that it was immediately after him telling the story uh, that Jesus made his way into Jerusalem. So I think that gives us a little bit of a clue. Jesus is talking about kings and then he's coming into Jerusalem uh, as a king. Second clue. Jesus rides uh, on an animal on the way into the city. Now, that is very king-like behaviour. Okay, normally kings are found on horseback, uh, not on donkey back, if that's a thing. Uh, But nevertheless, Jesus is carried into the city on an animal. He doesn't just uh, wander in. He's coming on on an animal. He's coming, uh, being carried into the city. And I think that suggests we're probably dealing with a king. Our third clue, Jesus has a carpet of cloaks laid out before him. That sounds like the welcome for a king. If, uh, if we had a king coming to visit us um, in normal times when we were all gathered together, if we had a king coming into the church, we might say that we're going to roll out the red carpet. We're going to lay down uh, something in front of them that kind of shows how much we value them. it's normally reserved for someone uh, very special. Maybe, you know, maybe even a king. So that's another clue that Jesus is the king. Clue four, the crowd say blessed is the king. Now, I don't think that one needs too much explaining. I think that's a pretty big giveaway that we are dealing with the king. Jesus, uh, the crowd say blessed is the king. And finally, if you need another clue, if if those first four clues that uh, haven't kind of uh, persuaded you that we're dealing with a king, our fifth clue, this whole um, recollection is a definitive fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy from Zechariah 9.9, as Helen told us about earlier. It says, rejoice greatly, daughter Zion, shout daughter Jerusalem, see your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. This surely must be about Jesus. We must be dealing with the king. And the final, the final kicker for me, um, if, you, uh, if you wanted a final kicker, the passage uh, in my Bible, uh, as I was preparing for this, is titled, Jesus comes to Jerusalem as king. So I think that settles it. I think we're dealing with a king here. And that brief run through is just to help us to be left in no doubt that on that very first Palm Sunday, on that triumphant entry into Jerusalem, that Jesus is seen and is the king. We are Easter people. Um, spoiler alert, Easter's coming next Sunday. Um, and we live in the wonderful knowledge of the resurrection. We know the power of Jesus. So he must be the king. He was resurrected. He came back from the dead. He has to be the king. But what I want us to focus on uh, for the rest of uh, this, this time this morning is how we react to the king. We can see that Jesus is the king. We can acknowledge that he's the king. But how do we react to Jesus being the king? Now, I just want to take uh, the three groups of people from the story, uh, who um, the three different types of reaction. To help us reflect on how we might view the king and how we might respond to Jesus. So, first up, do you respond to the king like the two disciples in verses 30 and 31? Those disciples who are tasked with bringing the donkey to Jesus so that he uh, that he would pre- 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 process in on. Get that one out. So they were tasked with bringing the donkey that Jesus would use to process in on. Is your response to Jesus one of obedience? Is your response to Jesus one of obedience? Those disciples follow the instructions of Jesus to the letter. They trust the very words that Jesus has spoken and they understand that Jesus speaks truth. He's not saying things to them to lead them on a wild goose chase, He's not getting them to go and do something and He's playing a prank on them. No, Jesus is speaking truth. And the disciples, they're obedient. They don't try him to tell him so. They don't say, no, we're not going there. We're not doing that. We're not going to go and pick up this donkey. They don't argue with him. They follow the Lord's call to explain to the owners of the cult that the Lord needs it. They're obedient to Jesus. They follow his words. I wonder if you've ever found yourself uh, in a situation saying the Lord needs it. I mean, I think it's a little bit unlikely that say we were to turn up at um, maybe a Ferrari garage um, or the Maserati garage in Lindhurst, um, pick up the keys uh, and say to the owner of the garage, the Lord needs it. I'm not sure that we would be met so amicably uh, as the disciples were, but I'm guessing the Lord probably hasn't prompted many of us to suggest he needs a Ferrari for his work. But are we confident enough in the kingship of Jesus to respond to his needs, to respond to his call like the disciples? And a part of me would love to know how the conversation went with the donkey uh, owner or maybe owners. Um, I feel like I'm left wanting a little bit more from Luke about the kind of the discussion afterwards. And the point stands that the disciples were obedient to the king. They trusted the truthful words of the Lord. And their obedience to him continued. They didn't just find the donkey. They brought the donkey to Jesus and they placed him on it. Such a powerful juxtaposition to the actions of Good Friday. Just in five days time, Jesus would be placed on a cross. But this time he's placed on a donkey. He's given that royal uh, anointing to be placed uh, on, on the back of the donkey. And the disciples placed their cloaks on the animal as a makeshift saddle for him. They obeyed him and they respected the king. And like the disciples, do you trust in the king's words? Are you ready to follow his call? Is your response to Jesus obedience? Is your response to Jesus obedience? does your response to the king look a bit more like the crowd? They too respected the king. They laid down their coats in front of him. They laid out the carpet for him. A sense of sacrificial majesty. They were prepared to use the clothes off their back, the things that uh, they used for their own dignity, to be trampled on by a donkey, maybe to be ripped apart, to be damaged. Um, or maybe to be left in an even more extreme state by the donkey. Um, I'll leave that to your imagination. Um, But they did that just to lay praise at the feet of Jesus. Not only did they lay uh, those things at the feet of Jesus, they began to joyfully praise in loud voices. Um, This account doesn't tell us of the palm branches, but we know in the other accounts there are palm branches. There's this sense of just huge praise I imagine it was like a cacophony of noise lifted to worship the king. And their response is in part down to the miracles they'd seen, to the healings, to the the feeding of mass numbers, to the incredible things that Jesus had done. The testimony of their own eyes, the things they had seen Jesus do. Does your response to Jesus as king Reflect in praise and worship for him as king. Are you left in awe of the miraculous things that he has done for you? Can you see exactly what Jesus has done for you and for those around you? Those things that you didn't think possible. Achieved by the king of kings. The one true king. And the crowd, they quote Psalm 118. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Are you uh, prepared to respond this morning to Jesus like the crowd with thanksgiving and with praise? Are you prepared to respond to Jesus like the crowd with thanksgiving and with praise? Or is your response to the king sometimes a bit like the Pharisees? Do you fear Jesus and want him to be quieter in your life? When we sin and when we turn our backs on him, are we fearful of the power of the mighty one? He might have been riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. It might not have been a horse. He might not have been the mighty warrior. He might not look like the mighty warrior to to the human eye he is the mighty one. And by this stage in Jesus's ministry, the Pharisees were already concerned about Jesus's power. They were concerned about his popularity. They were concerned about his influence. They were looking to take him down, to get rid of him. They were plotting his downfall in the shadows. And they asked him to quieten his followers. But Jesus's response to them is that... If that he keep quiet, if his followers keep quiet, the stones will cry out. A reference way back uh, into the Old Testament from Habakkuk, uh, chapter 2, verse 11. The praise of the people is inevitable when it comes to Jesus. Even if those people stay quiet, even if Jesus uh, tells them to be quiet, the stones on the very side of the road will call out. There is no stopping the praise of Jesus. But are we sometimes like the Pharisees? Do we sometimes rail up against Jesus because he doesn't quite fit in with our lives the way we want things done? Do we sometimes um, turn away from him? Do we sometimes react a little bit like the way the Pharisees reacted to him? And it may be for some of us uh, we've fallen into all three responses in our lives at different points. Sometimes we are um, as obedient to Jesus as we can be. Sometimes we are um, praising him in worship and um, just in awe of the incredible things he's done. Sometimes we might be a bit like the Pharisees, standing in the shadows, unwittingly trying to bring him down. And for some of us, it might be all three have been uh, applicable to us this week. We might have even experienced all three in one day. And some, some of us, we might permanently feel in one of those states or another. But wherever we may be in our lives, whichever of those three responses uh, speak to you now. The one true king loves you and he wants you. The one true king loves all of us and wants us. And he deserves a response from us. We can't simply choose to ignore him. We have to respond to the king. We're going to use a a song uh, in a moment to help us reflect. And and that song has the opening line, I see the king of glory. And I wonder how do you see the king of glory today, this morning? How do you see uh, the king of glory? You might not be feeling in a very a praiseworthy Palm Sunday mood today, but how is it you are seeing the King today? And how do you want to respond to the ultimate King? Do you want to be like the crowd, joyful and praising, reacting to the joyous testimonies of Jesus in our lives? Do you want to live with obedient, with the like the obedience of the disciples, carefully listening to the words of the Lord? carrying out his doing as he needs us to? What the Lord needs, do we want to do? Do you want to go out uh, proclaiming uh, Jesus, proclaiming his wonder? I wonder if you want to go out this morning proclaiming his love as if it was uh, stuck on your head, as if you'd want to be walking around with a declaration of your love for Jesus on your head. Is that how you want to respond this morning? Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for that first Palm Sunday. Thank you that we can praise you. Uh, We can lay down our cloaks. We can lay down our palm branches. That we can praise you in wonder. Thank you for the obedience of the disciples bringing that donkey to you, doing uh, your calling. And when we sometimes feel like the Pharisees, help us uh, to remember that we can be uh, immersed in that crowd, that you love us, you care for us, you want relationship with us. And help us to uh, praise and worship you as the true king.